Welcome to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. We hope this podcast encourages you, challenges you, and furthers your relationship with God in a whole new way. Enjoy this week's message. How are you doing today? You're doing all right? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you in a time of need and get what we need from you, Lord God. We ask you, Lord, for deliverance. We ask you, Lord God, that your hand be upon every member of this church and everyone who is at the sound, hear the sound of my voice. We pray for deliverance today. We pray, Lord God, that you would just break every yoke that is weighing us down. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And I've just been so blessed. I've been so honored. I've been getting phone calls and, and texts, emails about this 40-day challenge that we've been in. And it, it's surprising me because it's, it's people who may have had a prayer life. But it sort of sparks something in us. How many, how many know that sometimes when you do the same thing over and over and you approach that thing, it gets stale. And sometimes I, I you know, I, I, I limit God. I, I just think that only certain people are going to participate in this. But I've been having so many calls from people that I least expect telling me that I've never experienced prayer like this before. I've never thought that God cared for the little details of my life. I never knew that prayer was not only a time to ask God for things, but it's a time to worship God. It's a time to put his word in your spirit so you can speak it back to God. Amen. And so I'm, I'm just so blessed. And I just want to thank everyone for their participation. Today, we're on day 35 of our prayer challenge. And if you haven't received the book or God it on Audible. It's a great, great book. Um, it's a 40-day prayer challenge. Draw the circle, and it's phenomenal. Um, and today, day 35, talked about not despising small beginnings. I love it. Not despising small beginners, beginnings. And so sometimes we despise things, sacred things, things that, you know, the world may not think is important, but in the body of Christ, we're seeing this moving away from things that are sacred. What are some, some things that are sacred to you? What are some things that are sacred to me? I know for me, as I age, my body is sacred, right? I have to take care of my body. I have to get sleep for real. Before it was an option at 35, but now at 47, it's not an option. I really need to get my hours of sleep. And sometimes, you know, we don't value our time. We allow people to draw, their, put their demands on us and not really be good stewards of our time. And, and, and as I get older and I'm thinking about the future and, and, and generational um, concerns, I'm thinking about my money. How am I going to leave my income for the next generation? You know, so we don't think about those things that are sacred. How about the Sabbath? 
The Sabbath used to be sacred. I'm from New Haven, Connecticut, and that's where the blue laws were established. Anyone know what the blue laws were established? Yes, we got another Connecticut person back there. But it is when that nothing was open on Sundays. Remember that? Remember that? It, it was like a good measure. Like I couldn't go to the store. I couldn't buy liquor. No, I wasn't buying liquor, but I, I couldn't do certain things. I couldn't do certain things. It was like a barrier, but nothing is sacred. Everything is 24 hours. Everything is text me. Uh, why do you email me? Text me back. Text. Everything is instant. So nothing is sacred anymore. And I think we're despising, even in the body of Christ, those things which are sacred. And so the Vines Dictionary defines sacred as things that are consecrated to God, things that are holy to God. And um, I love Timothy because he talks about a lot of sacred things. He talks about the Holy Scripture being sacred. And that scripture is good to save our souls. And he also talks about in 2 Timothy um, 20, 220, he talks about in a large house. Remember that? In a large house, there's articles. There's, there's, there's articles of gold and silver. But then there's articles of wood and clay. But he says that. Some are for noble purposes and some are for not so good noble purposes. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes. Made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. My spirit is sacred to me. I know we do a great job. I know it hasn't always been the case, but we do a good job of fostering that safety, that, that sense of peace in our home. We're very careful about what we allow into our homes. We've, we've had a blended family, so we've had five children coming over our house every other week and all that stuff. Oh, God, that was so long ago, right? And, and, and so it was a lot of different ideas coming in and out. But we had to set a standard for what was going to be. We had to set a standard for going to church. We had to set a standard for how we talk to one another, how my husband and I talk to one another, because we wanted our children to bless one another. Amen? We, those things were sacred to us. And so I think that we need to understand that God says that we're holy and that we're sacred, and that we are not to give away what's holy and what's sacred like the world does. And so I thought about sacred things, and I thought about the opposite of sacred. And so I was doing my little word search, and the word scheme came up. Mm, I was like, scheme? I was thinking of other things, but that word scheme comes up. And it said in the the Vines Dictionary and Strong's Concordance, it describes deliberate planning or a systematic approach which can have a positive or a negative connotation. The negative meaning in Strong's Concordance highlights the methodia. That's the direct translation of that word scheme. Implies the use of clever, clever methods or strategies to attain a desired end. So the scripture always uses the word methodia in a negative connotation. And so I think about how Satan's attacks are tailor-made for us. Now today I'm not going to highlight what the devil is doing, but I will talk about how we have to be careful not to allow the schemes of the heart to replace the things that are sacred. 
that if our sin isn't blatant, that we're okay. But God wants to purify our hearts. And one thing that God has been dealing with me during this prayer challenge is those that are pure in heart shall see God. I'm like, why do you keep bringing that up, God? I'm trying to go to another. What are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? Pure in heart. That doesn't mean that I, I look good on the outside. I say the right things. I, I, I have a form of godliness. But he is concerned about my heart. I remember when um, about four or five years from now, I was working at a university and I was going through it. I was going through it. It was I, I was crying out to God. My husband knew that for three months I said, God, I can't do this anymore. It was competing values. They wanted me to do things that was against what I believed. And, and um, I was teaching. I just had a teaching, counseling, and I had a hard load there. And I think what happens is when the season is over, you, you sometimes, the grace lifts for it. So it, it may have been a blessing for someone else, but for me, it was a very prestigious job. But for me, the seasons were changing. And as I was walking out of work, I began to get frustrated with God. I said, God, how long? You know, I can't take this. I was recovering from a brain injury. I said, Lord, the demands are getting stronger. What do I do? And then I heard the spirit of the Lord say to me, I have something handcrafted for you. I have something tailor-made for you. And then I got encouraged and I couldn't wait and I couldn't wait to run home and tell my husband this. And, and, and as I began to think about it and I got excited and then I was able to wait and be patient with a better disposition and God delivered me and now I'm living my dreams. I'm doing what I love and I'm doing it how I love. But I wanted to think about how it flipped. So I thought about, well, if God is preparing something tailor-made for me and the enemy is a counterfeit, then he also is tailor-making some things for me, some things that look good. There were wonderful opportunities as I was in my fatigue of work, and I said, maybe I could just do this, or maybe I could just transfer to another university. Like, all of them don't have the same problems, right? And, and, and so we have to be careful to the enemy's devices. What stops us? What stops us from giving our best to God? We're in the series of giving God our best. Could it be we don't value the sacred or we succumb to the schemes of the enemy? I don't know if you watch um, Netflix, but I do. I have those moments. And there, there's some good documentaries, documentaries about how people schemed people out of millions. There's a, another one that just came out, Inventing Anna, and that's just deep. You can't, it's just like a whole nother level. This woman was a fake German heiress and she just really embarrassed the people in the banking industry. And so I was thinking about how this happened and the people who were talking about how they were scammed and manipulated by this, this young 20 something year old, they talked about how it appeared to be good. These weren't ignorant people. The enemy knows what you like. He knows for me that I value security. My husband gets so tired of me talking about benefits. I'm a benefits person. I think I married him for the benefits and the love came after. I was like, Blue Cross Blue Shield, PPO, this is gonna be great. 
This is going to be great. This is going to be great. But that was my value. I value security because of where I came from. I came from a place where my mother had to strive and struggle for everything she had, and she overcame, and she's blessed, and she's prosperous now. But when that's in your early psyche, it's in you. It's in you. So that, that's a weakness that I have, that I had, that I struggled with provision. No matter what I had in the bank, I was always afraid that something could happen. Something dramatic can happen and it can happen. But how many know that we have to put our trust for God? So today we're going to focus on a prayer of deliverance. This isn't a message that's so tricky or so uh, deep in a sense. It is just asking God for deliverance. How many of you have been in a crisis before? How many of you have struggled with your children, have struggled? And, and so in this book, Leading with the Limp by Dan Allender, he talks about the six things that Christians or leaders ask God for deliverance from. You want to hear them? The first one is crisis. Oh, Lord, save me. <laughs> oh, Jesus, there's a storm coming. There's a health storm. There's a financial storm. There's a work crisis storm. Some of you are going through that now. In this environment, it's our tendency to cast blame elsewhere. Like it's a crisis, it's not my fault. And we get fearful. And the second thing is complexity. When things get complex, when faced with real complexities and, 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 and competing values, I had a competing value with the job that I had before and nerve-wracking uncertainties, we typically get more rigid in our thinking. Well, then I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to cut people off. I'm just going to do this. A plus B equals C. And we're not trusting God. We are, we're moving in our own wisdom. And the third thing is betrayal. You know what it means to be betrayed. I've never been betrayed by somebody I didn't know, right? It doesn't hurt that much. But that person close to you, that husband that betrayed you, that child that left the wrong way, that, 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 friend who said things about you that were not even true. And so with that betrayal, we, we don't face those wounds, even in the body. We just cover it up with more defenses. And you know what happens when, that, when, when we do that? When we don't acknowledge our pain and our, and our sin and, and our mistakes and our weaknesses and our failures before God, we become like the people who betrayed us. Our defenses are protections, but they harm, they, they harm us because in turn, we become cruel. We become hurtful. We become arrogant. We become emotionally insensitive. And we become, we begin to be negative. And God doesn't want us to be that way. And number four, he talks about loneliness. I don't know about you, but we become a lonely nation. We have become a lonely nation, partly because of our progression with technology and social media and that we don't have to physically get together to get things done. But during these past two years, isolation nearly killed people. I would see people and the number one reason why people would call was for anxiety. Second was depression. But then this third thing started to creep to number one the past two years, it, loneliness. I'm like, what do they, now, they want counseling for loneliness? Like, but they're in a the family. 
Like they're not alone, but people don't know how to connect anymore. And so if we don't make our number one connection to God, connection to people will be difficult. I know so many Christians who have self-imposed loneliness. I'm not talking about healthy loneliness. I'm not talking about being an introvert. Those things, that's how God created us. Some people get their strength from being alone primarily most of the time. I'm talking about that self-imposed loneliness that seeks to protect yourself from this world. And ultimately, as Christians, it hinders us for fulfilling the call of God in our lives. How can we fulfill the Great Commission if we are isolated, if we are self-imposing loneliness inward, focusing only on our problems, our issues? Is not that the issue or example of not having faith, of not believing God to take care of us as we do the call of God on our lives? And I know me, I, from an early age, I, I didn't know how to put words to it, but I could not stand loneliness. That was my mission in life to mitigate loneliness. Every time I would see a disabled child, every time I would see a kid that looked different than me, different skin tone, different, maybe a different size, maybe from a different country, I was just drawn to them. I said, why should we be alone? And I love church, which one of our missions are is to experience freedom. And in that, it's to take those people who are lonely, who don't have a family, and to bring them into the body of Christ. That's what this is all about. And the fifth thing he talks about, the crisis that we call for deliverance on, is weariness. Weariness. Being fatigued emotionally, physically, spiritually. Some people say, I thrive under pressure. I thrive under working hard, you know, from a recovering procrastinator. <laughs> I do my best work under that. But it does take its toll on you after a while. The quality of your work, the quality of relationships, because you're always thinking about something you need to do. Or fear causes you to procrastinate so you don't deal and you don't take it to God. And the last thing, this is kind of interesting that he said, he said, glory, glory is something that people want deliverance from. We, we sometimes struggle. You ever meet a celebrity or you ever meet somebody that you looked up to and then you met them and then it didn't quite fit. It's like, oh man, I wish I never met them. I liked, he was a friend in my head. She was a friend in my head. But now that I met them, it just didn't. Or the glory when God uses you mighty. And then you know how we get. We start to take the credit. Yeah, well, you know, that's my gift. That's, that's what I do. That's a quiet gift. You know, I used to, in seminary, I, I used to help hold many camp meetings and I would deliver. Oh, you know, that's, that's my call. I'm a prophet. Mm, you know. And we take that glory for ourselves. And then sometimes I say, Lord, forget, deliver me from my successes. So I rely totally on you. God says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. So let's dive into Jacob's prayer. Now, we all know the, the story of Jacob and Esau, and, and, and it's a fascinating story. We've heard it um, talked about so many different ways, and a lot of times it's set up 
to talk about their differences. You know, one was hairy and, you know, not godly. And one was crafty, but, you know, loved, loved the Lord, but kind of had a slick way about him. I love the way they talk about Jacob. I'm like, who is Jacob? Like, I'm like, he's a trickster, but then he's wrestling with God. I'm like, who is Jacob? He's a slippery fella, you know? And, and, and so these twins were born and, and Esau came out first. So that technically made him the firstborn technically made him the firstborn. And um, um, a birthright was an honor. It was an honor given to the firstborn, bestowing head of the household status. I love that. For, and, and, and that just wasn't just status. It, mean, it meant that you got a double portion of whatever was passed down. So there was some responsibility with that. And so I was thinking about what does that mean for us today? Christians and birthrights. What does that mean today? So as Christians, we have an inherited birthright status through Jesus Christ. I love it. I love it that I am a Gentile and through my faith in Jesus Christ, I'm indoctrinated into the body. That gives me a birthright. That, that gives me a status. And, and so as Christians, we inherited our birthright status through Jesus Christ as the firstborn Son of God. And Colossians 1.15, it says the supremacy of the Son of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. I love it. And and, in Romans 4.13, it talks about for the promise that he should be the heir of the world did not come by the law. It didn't come through Abraham or his descendants, but through the righteousness of faith. This is this is amazing to me. And so Christ promises to share that inheritance and that kingdom with us. And so sometimes we we struggle with valuing the sacred because we don't understand our birthright. When you when you you ever meet people who who, you know, there's a difference between new money and old money. But I grew up in a place where there was a lot of old money. And so it was always interesting to see them because they knew they knew they didn't have to prove they usually wore less fancy clothes, usually drove old Volvos or Subarus. And 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 you're like, but they're worth millions. I mean, why is he living on my street? You know, why, 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 is he, why isn't he living in this street with the big houses? Because with that generational wealth, it's usually passed down. And the focus isn't wearing with it, wearing nice clothes or nice cars or big expensive vacations. The focus is being a good steward so the next generation can have wealth. Amen. And so we're almost like new money when it comes to the things of God. We don't understand our birthright. And so we have Christians despising holy things, not because they're evil, but because they're ignorant to their birthright. And so God wants us to be challenged this first quarter of the year as we do this prayer challenge, is to become familiar with your birthright. Don't allow Instagram, don't allow media, don't allow others to set a standard for what you are to live by. Because my inheritance is bigger than this world. I'm able to be faithful to my marriage because I understand my birthright. I'm able to resist 
responding in anger when you may defile me or say something horrible because I understand my birthright. My focus is on internal things. And that's not been always easy. But it's through the prayer of deliverance and through righteousness brought by faith. Amen. And so Esau, this thing of the birthright, Esau was the oldest. So that made him the firstborn. He was the one that the heir of the birthright. But we also we all know that through the trickery and the schemes, not only of Jacob, I'm just going to say this was the mama wasn't crazy. The mama was up there. The mama, I mean, she was scheming. I mean, I mean, this went back to generations. You can see Isaac, you can see all the, the lineage where we all had a, a frailty. And so sometimes it's so hard to discipline your kids when they do stuff you do. It's just like, stop lying. But, but you, but, 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 but you lied. You said you wasn't home when you was home. Tell me I ain't home. You're teaching them how to lie. <laughs> and where he get that from? Where she get that from? But it doesn't fall far from the tree. And so I just want to give a shout out to, to, to looking out for Isaac and looking out for Jacob, saying that it was Isaac, it was Rebecca. He had some slick, slick parents in some ways, too. And so, you know, as a result, Esau was furious at this treacherous act, at this, this betrayal, after this scheme, because he tricked them. He tricked them with the bowl, you know, with, when he traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. Now, we all know Esau was godless. <laughs> he wasn't thinking about the long term, new money, right? He wasn't thinking about the long term. He was thinking about the immediate desires of the flesh. And I love what uh, Hebrews 12, 15, 17 says. It says, Esau's decision to sell his birthright is utilized as an illustration of ungodliness. A godless person who will put worldly attractions over spiritual blessings. Worldly attractions over spiritual blessings. What worldly attractions, worldly standards are we putting before spiritual blessings? We all do it in some way by the small compromises. Well, well, you know, I don't, I don't have to do this. Well, God, you know, we're under grace. I really don't have to speak to this person. I really don't have to be an example at work. God knows my heart. I'm tired today. They just got to recognize this is the mood I'm in. And so this is me. This is what they're getting today. I'm not, I'm not in the spirit today. And we begin to kind of like compromise our birthright and ruin the sacred for, for a bowl of soup. So the world is looking at the church saying, they're like me. They don't value marriage. They don't value life. Why should I serve Jesus if they're just like me? But God wants to change the narrative today. He wants us to see that with this prayer of deliverance that Jacob prayed, prayed it was just fantastic. And I believe that we can utilize this prayer for us today. And so um, I loved when, when, when Jacob 
Lot's mother had made an escape for him after he did this treacherous act to his brother Esau. And he, he, look, he got, he got tricked by the trickster, you know, his uncle Laban. <laughs> and he got right. God used that, exposed those 20 years of deception. And, and he, Israel got, and, and not Israel, he wasn't Israel yet, but Jacob got a taste of his own medicine because Laban was the king of slick. But it was shaping him. Are we letting the trials, the crisis of life shape us? In which we're becoming holy? Or is it making us calloused or bitter or flippant with the anointing? Flippant with the call of God on your life. Flippant with the, the mandate to raise your kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. God is saying to us, come back. You are holy. You are a holy generation. You are set apart. You are a peculiar people. And it's through that love that you have that I place in you and that love for one another that that's going to draw the world to me. We're living in a time where people don't care what you say. They look at the fruit of what you do. And so God had told um, Jacob that you're in this place. Your mother sent you with Laban, but he's telling him to go back to where his brother was. Go back, bring, you know, the, bring all your family, your people, go back to that country, to where he was. And I find that fascinating. I want to read that um, before I get into this prayer. We're almost through. I just get so excited about that. And Genesis 32 um, one through eight, it says, so Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of the place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, brother, to Esau, his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them by saying, Speak thus to my, my Lord Esau. He's calling my Lord. He's like, fear make you do a lot of things. <laughs> it is, it's so funny. Um, but he was afraid, and I know what it's like to be afraid. He says, speak this to my Lord Esau. Thus your Jacob says, your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I might find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he also is coming to meet you. And 400 men with him. Esau is crazy by himself. <laughs> 400 men, that's a lot of men. So he doesn't know what Esau is gonna do. Esau. He was like a burly guy, hairy guy. The, 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 the adjectives to describe him are quite fearful. Um, so, so Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that were with him into flocks, camels, herds, into two groups or two companies, the uh, King James Version says. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company, which is left, will escape. So he's 
He's trying to figure out what to do. He's trying to get a plan of crisis uh, to, to head off what may happen because he's so fearful. But I loved the prayer. I think a lot of times we can plan our ways and, 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 and scheme, even because it's not always used as negative, kind of prepare, but kind of like do things naturally. But when we stop before the crisis, before the situation, to pray, a prayer of deliverance, that is faith, people. A lot of times we wait till things go wrong. Oh, Jesus, help me out. This happened to me. But I love, let's read together the prayer of deliverance. My main point for speaking today, Genesis 32, 9 through 12. And this is Jacob. He's fearful. Have you ever been fearful? I've been fearful, fearful for my life, fearful for my recovery, fearful for what the doctor's going to say, fearful for my finances. I've had people attack and lie on me. I've been lied maliciously on at work. And some uh, one coworker said that I did something that was totally false and I had to fight and say, bring evidence to say this is not true. And even though I would be vindicated eventually. I knew I would, but just the fact that I had to go through this, it brings fear. So what happens with my mortgage? What happens? What, God, why is this happening to me? I'm serving you? What, what, what is going on? And so I realized, I hear what my grandmother says, pray, 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 prayer, prayer, deliverance. So this is Jacob's prayer. Oh, God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country. And I love this because he's reminding him what he said. I didn't want to go back there. <laughs> you told me to go back. He's just reminding him before he gets any further that this was your idea, Lord. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just reminding you. I'm putting you in remembrance of what you said. Return to your country and to your family, and I would deal well with you. And then after he puts God in remembrance of his promises. In verse 10, he says, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies. That's just like a, po a poem. I am not worthy of the least of all mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. Truth, kindness, love, forgiveness. Jacob prospered under Laban under that hard. So he was like, I don't, I, I don't even have the, 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 the grace or in my own merit, the ability to ask you for this. So he's just saying the truth. And for I've crossed over the Jordan with my staff and now I have two companies. Now I've prospered. In 11, he says, deliver me, O Lord, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with children. Sometimes we are afraid to pray and be honest with God. Lord, I am afraid I will lose my job. I'm afraid that my marriage will never change. I'm afraid that my children will not come to you. I know what you promised, but based on what I see, I'm afraid. We don't admit that to God. And this is why this example is so powerful. He said, for I fear him, lest he come attack me and the mother with children. God knows. 
And 12 says, for you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for a multitude. I love this fact that he reminded him of his promise. He thanked God and recognized the grace and mercy. And then he asked him for deliverance from this situation. And I want us to do that because a lot of us are facing difficulties and we're still in denial. Oh, it's not that bad. We're afraid to look at it. We're afraid to look at our financial situation. Some of us are afraid to, to look at the future, look at my age and life, and I still haven't found the thing that I'm called to do. A business that may be struggling. Will I ever get married? Some of us have that desire. And it just seems like year after year, it's not happening. Will I ever get better? I'm tired of being sick. Some people have a prayer like, I just don't want to be sick anymore. And so there's real fear there, but we don't express it. We just keep working. We keep going here. We keep striving. We keep searching for, for answers to no avail. And then we blame God when we haven't asked the deliverer to deliver us. And so I'm challenging you today. You say, well, you, Pastor Yolanda, you're just saying pray. No, I am saying that we have to value the sacred things, our birthright. Because if we don't, we're more at risk of despising it. Don't despise your birthright. Some of us are not as blatant as, as, as Esau was but we're despising it by the decisions that weigh from the will of God in our lives. But God, I want to do this. This looks a certain way. But did you ask God? Did you consult? Did you pray and ask God? Because as Christians, we have a higher authority. And I know that's hard because it goes against everything in the culture, which says, do what, you, do what makes you happy. Do what makes you do what makes you, 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 you live your best life, rather. But God is saying, don't despise the sacred things. Stand with me as I pray this prayer. Father God, I ask you to help me place a high value on the sacred and put it into my scheming and manipulative ways, Lord God. Father God, help me not to, spoil, to despise small beginnings. Lord God, help me to, to trust your word, your promises for my life, your promises for the body of Christ at large, Lord God. Help me to do my part. I know that despising you, Lord God, and despising sacred things is grievous to your spirit, and it destroys my relationships with others, Lord God. I repent for participating in anything that doesn't honor what you honor, that doesn't love what you love, that doesn't hate what you hate. Lord, I repent for not being honest in awe with you and with other people, for any sins of the heart, jealousy, bitterness, striving, scheming, withholding information that you didn't tell me to withhold. Help me to curb my anger. Help me to not speak words that bring harm. 
Deliver me, Lord God, from crisis, complexities, betrayal, loneliness, weariness, and even my own glory. I ask you, Lord, to be with me as I face whatever fear I'm dealing with. And you can all say to God what that fear is. Let's bring it to God. If we can't be honest in church, if we can't leave it today at the altar and say, I'm tired of being afraid. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me my sins. Today, I'm making a decision to wipe the slate clean regarding anyone who's even acted unjustly, betrayed me, and was unfair with me. I don't want anything to hinder me from giving you my best. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. If what you heard today impacted you, be sure to tell us about it. You can rate and subscribe to this podcast or contact us on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram or our website, calvarylifedfw.com. Thank you so much and have a great week.